Listen, I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to keep it authentic. You can transform your life with holistic approaches to wellness. You can rejuvenate your mind, your body, and your soul through this personalized nutrition and organic product that I offer. You'll feel vibrant and energized while living a lifestyle that nourishes you from the inside out. You can truly discover the power of optimal nutrition. I help people eat, move, and feel better. And that's all that matters. Healthy mind, healthy heart, healthy soul. Hit me up. Let's get on a call. Let's talk. I'd love to help. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Ascension Show. Hope you're having a great day so far. Thanks for tuning in today. I've got my friend Carson with me. We're doing the third in-person podcast in a row, so I hope you guys are loving it. Um, Me and Carson are sitting on his front porch with the rain, adding nice uh, nice background noise for us to get into some deep conversation. So Carson, why don't you give a little introduction about about yourself, just where you're at in life and what you do. Thank you for passing me the professional microphone. I currently... I am an owner of a digital marketing agency. I am 22 years old, live currently in Wilmington. Um, I'm not going to go any any deeper than that, but um, just in case anyone's trying to, to raid me. I have met, I met Stephen about a year, less roughly a year ago, and as far as my life goes, I'm just trying to figure it all out. Um, trying to get my my stuff together but also just go in the right directions I would call it um, but yeah that's a little bit about me is there anything else you want me to cover um, not really if you just want to so thanks for the introduction Carson so um, me and Carson Carson and I whichever way you want to okay. say it um, <clears throat> we both have recently gone on trips out of the country into Latin America so as some of you guys are very familiar with I was in Buenos Aires Argentina for a month and Carson you were in Peru for a little bit over a week and we both had experiences that kind of brought us out of our comfort zone we experienced what a different culture is like what how how other people live their lives and at least for me it was a bit revolutionary in the way that I go about my life and the way that I think about things because in the United States I'm so comfortable here you know it's so comfortable being able to just speak English and and live the way that we live because that's all we've known but when you're in that different environment I'm I'm a Spanish speaker so I kind of got I kind of did okay um but it was it was out of my comfort zone because when you go somewhere you you have to speak Spanish and then you're also having to account for the differences in culture um, so I don't know if you want to s- share a little bit about how you experienced it, especially as someone who, where Spanish wasn't your first language. Si, sí, gracias, Stephen. Uh, that's at the extent of my Spanish, but I did really appreciate the one thing. So I went to Cusco, Peru, which is it's actually been featured in the movie Emperor's New Groove. Um, it's, I think it's a Disney film. And 
that's how I knew like, the name Cusco sounded familiar to me from that movie. But the the village is is really has this old vibe and elements to it. It's kind of these cobblestone streets with really, um, I'll use the word old again, architecture. And it just has a lot of life and energy and it truly has a upbeat vibe. I think I went there during uh, the the end of a civil unrest, you could call it, just some political um, difficulties and witnessing some of the woman uh, there with their natural or, or historical um, outfits and, and and clothing choice was really it was really awesome. Uh, you don't really get to see that in the United States, at least where I'm from. Uh, everyone's just wearing what's trendy these days, and that's cool. But seeing that aspect, Stephen, was was really interesting to to be able to witness someone wearing something that's been in their culture for centuries, I would assume. And uh, one of the things they did there, which I don't know if Argentina had anything like this, was because of that it was higher up in altitude, we had to chew these cocoa leaves, which is like how you make cocaine these with through these leaves. But the leaves themselves would sort of stimulate you and give you a coffee-like effect. And they were so addicting i mean not like to the point where you were like where's my next cocoa leaf but i honestly i'm thinking about it now as i as i look off into the rain and imagining those those leaves back in my lip so i guess that's addiction but it was culturally a beautiful place i think that all that all sounds really awesome um i think for you you got a little bit more of the the indigenous type very traditional um like that all sounds completely different from the stuff that i experienced because i'm from like i was staying in the biggest city in argentina and argentina at least buenos aires is a very um not westernized in the sense like europe and the united states but westernized in the sense for latin america so seeing the kind of indigenous outfits and being in like the old architecture cobblestone was something that i didn't really experience and i will say i will be able to sympathize with you uh with the coca leaves i was drinking the yerba mate and i got my own yerba mate kit now and so you get like the caffeine effect from it too and it's kind of addicting just walking around like drinking your mate. What um, is yerba mate? So yerba mate comes from a tree and it's like a tea that they harvest. It's mainly grown in Brazil and parts of Uruguay and I think Argentina. And it's a part of the indigenous culture that's just been passed on through the years and it's a very cultural thing in Argentina more than Uruguay. Some Brazilians drink yerba mate. Um, but basically, in Argentina more than Uruguay, it's more of like a friendship thing. So I'm going to pour this yerba mate for us, and we're going to drink it because we're friends, and we're sharing a yerba mate. On uh, Uruguay, it, you know, more more Uruguay than Argentina, it's common to have it out on the street and with you all the time. But it's also becoming a thing in Argentina. So that's something that's very engraved into the culture, and they drink it in Paraguay too. So that's something that's very specific to that region of South America. Um, I'm assuming people in the southern parts of Argentina drink mate too, but yeah, that's a very integral part to their culture. Like there are mate stores everywhere. Everywhere we're selling mate, or I think it's the the leaves themselves are called yerba. 
the yerba. Um, and so that was an, its own experience because I got to share mate with a few people who are from Argentina and it was just like a normal thing. It's just like us sharing this cup of coffee right now. Um, and so that was a very cool experience. At least in my experience with the people, it was very Western, westernized for Latin America. And there was also quite a bit of English. Like I could go around and certain cafes and restaurants would be playing English songs, songs in English. And I, it just was kind of surprising to me. But they love Taylor Swift. They love Coldplay in Buenos Aires. So, so that was the thing. And when I would go up to people and they asked me where I'm from in Spanish, we're speaking in Spanish, I said, oh, I'm from the United States. Then they switched to English because they want to practice their English. I don't know yeah. if that's how it was in Peru. But um, I would say one of the biggest culture shocks was the food. The food, like the change in food was just different. And also the time of day that we ate. I don't know. Do you want to share like, you know, some experience with the food? Because I'm sure it was vastly different from the United States. I do want to share the opinion of the food, but I did want to ask you before I forget, since you're, you speak Spanish, do you feel like you gained a level of respect or kind of a, you, you know, you raised a few eyebrows when they heard you reply in Spanish or can you talk a little bit about your experience on that? Because I, I, for one, wished I knew how to speak more Spanish when I went to Peru. Yeah, let's piggyback off of this real quick and then get on the food. Um, so at least for me, um, it would be hard for me to fit in in Mexico or or El Salvador or Nicaragua because it's more indigenous there. It's more rooted with the indigenous population, but... At least in Uruguay and Argentina, there's a lot of m like mezcla, which is a mix between European and indigenous, and it's there's a lot of European influence. So I actually could could have passed as Argentinian, or some people have said that they thought I was Brazilian because I didn't speak like them at first. Some girl thought I was Italian, so. I, I really was able to fit in there. It actually felt nice to be able to fit in, and it was like normal. Like people weren't surprised when I spoke Spanish, but I didn't sound like them, okay. so I didn't necessarily fit in in the sense that like the Spanish is different and the culture is different. Um, so, but it was interesting. Uh, kind of, there were a few times when I was were with people that couldn't speak Spanish, so I had to kind of like, kind of usher them it was so interesting experience because like oh these people are relying on me to get around i was a week into my trip i was like i don't know how i would have would survive i don't know how i would get around the city without being able to speak the language and i guess people manage but yeah explain a little bit like if spanish spanish is not your first language so explain a little bit how that kind of played out i'm so glad you asked me about that i felt the exact same way when we were you know, in taxis or Ubers in, around the city or when I was getting, you know, peddled to buy this person's finest new art that I've seen six times from six other vendors. Um, the guy that we went with, his name was Kevin, um, but he, is, he had like Colombian like grandmother or mother or something, and he was able to speak enough Spanish to get by. And I tell you right now, dude, I... A conversation in the Uber would have been hola, adios, if it wasn't for Kevin. If I wasn't able to be like, oh, what are these like cool beads that you guys use on your your headrests in your car and like actually ask questions about the culture? Um, none of that would have happened if it wasn't for having someone natively speak 
or not natively, um, but be uh, conversational in their language. So to kind of answer your question, man, I would have been like a lost dog if I didn't have someone. And I agree with you. Like when you said that, I immediately remembered, holy crap, that was a pivotal part of the trip. And I think going to any country where English isn't the first language, that is not something to take lightly. That's that's good advice. Don't take that lightly, um, especially especially the like the less Western it is. So like the more Asian countries, or if you're going into like a smaller Latin American country or a smaller European country, people are are bound to speak less English, and it's it's actually pretty interesting how people will go out of their way to learn English as their second language, and it's at least in Buenos Aires, it was part of the curriculum for the students. So, like, the younger crowd were speaking – we were speaking in English. Like, they could speak English pretty much as well as they could speak Spanish, even though they don't – they didn't say they did. They they spoke really good English. And I think that's just testament to, like, the culture and the way that they do education there because we never were – it's – you're supposed to take two years of a second language, right. but it's never engraved from the – from from young mm-hmm. education when you're younger. And I just think about the benefits of having – Spanish as a requirement and an, is an integrated part of education because the United States is the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world, but we would consider English as our language. It's Mexico and the United States. And that just – it's kind of baffling to me how, how we haven't integrated more Spanish into our education because of reasons like that and because other countries will go out of their way to learn English. Um, so that's just kind of my two cents, but – um, like the language was one culture shock because they speak, they don't even call it Spanish. They call it Castellano and, and, and you actually pronounce it Castellano, but they pronounce the, the double, the double L as sh instead of ya. So that was its own learning curve for me. Um, and especially the, the friends that I had with me that were learning Spanish, but, um, another culture shock for me was the food. So in the United States, like, it depends on your diet because we don't really have one customary set way of eating. So I would consider myself a very um, – I try to optimize my nutrition and eat as healthy as I can, source as local and organic as I can. So I like to eat eggs and I like to have, you know, like a peanut butter honey sandwich or maybe cook pesto one night and do like ground beef and rice this night um, or maybe go crazy and try something new. Um, like the other night I made a Spanish omelet. Super awesome. But – you know, I'm used to different stuff, and I go to Argentina, and the food is steak, pasta, pizza, bread, and that's about it. You could also get this thing called milanese, which is like fried chicken. And yeah, I mean, it's not it's not my cup of tea, but um, yeah. So I had to get used to just eating that, and it was like my stomach had to get used to it. And then I got sick of eating it all the time, but I just kind of had to suck it up because there was nothing else, unless you wanted to get like argentinian mcdonald's or burger king so that was it's that was a culture shock for me and i'm actually kind of curious to learn about how the food was in peru because i feel like the food in peru was pretty awesome yeah that's a good point and i i haven't had fast food in over a year and i wasn't ready to break the 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 habit there um i did have like I feel like I had like a Starbucks cake. I don't know if you could call that fast food. I wouldn't call it fast food. Starbucks was definitely an American place that I continued to go to. They did Starbucks great over there. 
Um, co- I'll touch on the coffee real quick. They use coffee concentrate in Peru. So it's basically a – it's like a th- really c- concentrated um, amount of like coffee bean into a small liquid. I can't exactly explain how it's done, but you would pour that into a cup and then add water to that. So it would kind of like dull the coffee concentrate and make it like a water-like – like a coffee-like drink. So it was curi- it was interesting to me how they uh, – that's how they operated. But Starbucks, maybe they were doing coffee concentrate, but when they handed me that, that cup, man, oh, my gosh, it was delightful. Good coffee over in Peru, and it, it stuck with me. And I'll, I'll, I know you were asking me about the actual food. I think the food there was incredible. Um, I had my first llama. I, had, I think I had an alpaca burger. What? Yeah, alpaca burger was delightful. Um, kind of, you know, <laughs> I didn't look like llamas are and alpacas are really cool, but I wasn't like, oh man, I don't want to eat it because it's so cute. I was like, give me this alpaca burger, <laughs> uh, and I was starving. So that was awesome. The chicken was fantastic. Um, they had a ton of street food, and you know, give me a slap on the wrist or not for this, but I didn't eat any of it, and I'll tell you why. It's because when you go to Cusco, it's really high in elevation. Peru has, like, a lot of stuff to see. Lima is, like, a city on the coast. I think it's the capital city. And then Cusco is, like, 5,000 to 6,000 feet high, just, like, stationary. So you um, you have to adjust to the altitude. And that's another reason those cocoa leaves were really valuable because they did help with altitude sickness. And one thing that comes with high altitude is indigestion, which I already have indigestion on zero feet in altitude sometimes. So to go 6,000 feet and then eat like a full meal, your body takes a lot longer to, to digest that food. So I found myself eating at unconventional hours and taking a ton of charcoal supplement, just like uh, activated charcoal to help myself digest. Um I will say that that was shocking um, and, and definitely an adjustment. And I had to strategically think about what I was going to eat because I wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't going to you know, be in a, a bloated state for too long. Um, I remember one of the specific drinks that they had there, just to like kind of go on rapid fire topics, one of the drinks they had was this purple corn drink i wish i knew what it was called but it was like it they they've made it in alcoholic states but i had the non-alcohol and it was incredible they had so many varieties of corn there like giant kernels of corn that was you know as big as your the, the nail on your thumb um they had I think one of the things they they held dear to their heart was like the variety of potatoes they had, and they had, I think like a hundred to like a thousand varieties of different potatoes. Um, so in general, uh, I, I I really enjoyed the food of of Peru. It wasn't the thing that I'll write home about, but it was like a great aspect of it, and it was really affordable. I more really enjoyed like the scenic scenery and the the sights to see in peru that were just breathtaking um i i was curious to know uh i mean you you traveled all around like sort of 
South, it's in my head, I'm seeing more like metropolized, like city like areas, not as many like rural plains. But can you explain kind of what the environment looked like and kind of paint the picture for me on a, maybe a few areas you went to? Yeah, so on the on the altitude thing, I actually had a friend that was in Ecuador um, recently, and she got sick from out the altitude, like she, like oh, yeah. like stomach sick. So, um, yeah, I definitely um, think that that would be a big culture thing. Um, but to talk about the landscape and kind of the layout of Buenos Aires, so um, Buenos Aires is metropolis, very urban. There's lots of neighborhoods. So where I was staying was on the more upscale in the center, kind of by the port, um, touristy area. And depending on the neighborhood, it it also depended on the architecture. So the architecture depends on the neighborhood that you're in. So one neighborhood will look like France, and then the other neighborhood will look like Italy. Then another neighborhood will look like England, and another will look like Spain. Um, it's very interesting, and I actually enjoy it. Um, where I was staying, I was staying in this neighborhood called Recoleta for two weeks, and that was that one was um, that one was it was a nice neighborhood. There's another nice neighborhood called Palermo that is more touristy, more young crowd. Um, probably like Recoleta and Palermo, like the the nicest parts. Um, and then I was staying in another place kind of on the like federal side by kind of closer to the poor called Montserrat. Um, I don't know if I said that right, but basically it's just buildings and the whole way through and Buenos Aires is actually a, a walkable city. There are certain neighborhoods where biking is even like very accessible because they have biking lanes laid out. And so it's basically just city the whole way through, but it's not like skyscrapers. They don't have skyscrapers in many spots. Like skyscrapers are definitely not the type of style that they have. There definitely are skyscrapers, but it's not until you get kind of in more of a business part or maybe you see a couple apartment buildings in this little neighborhood over here. But um, it's a very walkable city. It looks like Europe all the way through. Like it literally just feels like Europe. Um, which is really cool because I was in Uruguay and in Uruguay there's lots of there's more Spanish and Portuguese architecture in Uruguay and it looks more colonial it looks a little bit it reminded me a lot of Charleston like cobblestone street at least the place where I was staying in um, Colonia de Sacramento is a port town yeah, it's a cobblestone streets, Portuguese and Spanish architecture. It's got those like colors that you'd expect to have. It's really pretty, different from Buenos Aires. I drove through Montevideo. I felt like I saw a lot of Spanish architecture in that part. And then I was staying in a place called Punta del Este in Uruguay. It's the tourist town uh, in between Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina. It's a town. It's a little peninsula. It whole the town itself probably two hundred thousand people live there. During the season, a million people <laughs> are staying in this place. Oh the locals, the locals were telling me that the streets are packed with people. the The beach is packed with people. You can't even get into restaurants to eat. And so that was that was something cool. I definitely would like to return to that. Um, maybe not peak season, but. Um, 
and that was more like beach town vibes, but like I felt like Spanish beach town vibes. Um, so the yeah, the architecture definitely different than Peru, I would assume. I guess the most the thing I could compare it most to like Peru would be the Colonia de Sacramento place where I had the there was the cobblestone streets and this architecture inspired by Spain and Portugal, but um, I guess Peru's more Spanish and indigenous architecture. Um, but I I enjoyed being like in the city part for the couple weeks that I was there. But when I was in Uruguay, it was a really nice break from the city. And by the time my trip was over, I was like, okay, I'm I think I'm ready to be like out of the city. Even though I love Buenos Aires, it's just the city. There's never quiet. It never sleeps. There's always something going on. There's always people around. So you can't really be have that privacy that you could have like here, where we're sitting on your porch and there's just like no one here. So that's kind of how it was. And I guess for you, it was a break from the suburbs because you went, did you go like to a less crowded area? Yeah. So currently where I, I stay, um, it's dense, you know, in Wilmington, there's, it's busy when it's like th- anywhere from nine to five. It's, it's pretty, pretty popular. And I mean, you're not driving around too much in, in Cusco, but you can, um, I felt like it was definitely a, a switch cause it just didn't look at all like the United States. It, it was this almost tan, like beige buildings, um, and pretty densely populated during like, you know, the active hours of the day. Uh, I, we actually, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they, we went during civil unrest and or right after civil unrest. So before the trip, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I don't know what to expect. I had zero concept of what I was getting myself into. It was just a figment of my imagination. I hardly looked into images before I got there. And when I got there, the, because there was civil unrest, there was really not many uh, tourists that I saw. It felt almost like we were visiting during the, the time where it was just – its own place and uh like cusco just operates as it's as it should um the the whole cult the whole town there survives off of tourists so i know that they really appreciate us coming and buying their stuff and um that 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 part of it was cool and it, it brings me to this uh topic of like safety of like how comfortable did i feel walking around in Cusco, a place I'd never been. I didn't even speak their native language. And I think there's a level of like common sense that I have where I'm not going to walk around like flashing hundreds of dollars and like appear to be like someone who, who you should rob. But I didn't have any sort of fear of being robbed uh, at all. It, not in Cusco. Um, and I felt super safe. And one of the things I distinctly remember is was one of our first nights there. We had coffee late. Then we chewed cocoa leaves and we were wired at like 2 a.m. And so we just, we walked the streets of Cusco, me and my two brothers. It was such a good bonding moment. And just the the city was quiet. You got the wild dogs that are running around town. Um, You have, you know, the occasional homeless person on the corner, uh, but not really as as prevalent as you, you may think or you may not think. Um, but I, I just wanted to touch on like that level of safety there. Like 
I don't know what it was like in Argentina, but to walk around at 2 a.m. and really not fear for anything besides like the common, like obviously you got to be, you know, keep your eyes open. I felt safer walking around there at 2 a.m. than I would have felt walking around Wilmington at 2 a.m., hands down. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I don't know if you had a similar experience. I also had a similar experience. Um, I think that's great that you could do that in Cusco. Mm -hmm. And I, I do want to touch, there are also dogs on the street yeah. in, in Argentina. The dogs were super well behaved. Yeah. Um, they would have some, they would have like dog walking service. And these, these like single person people, single person would have like 10 dogs on leashes, walking them through the city. Whoa. Like, because people just pay them to walk their dogs because they are busy. But the dogs are so well behaved. Like American dogs could never. But to answer like your question about the safety and whatnot, I felt safe there. Like it felt safe, even though I more or less fit in. I know that. Like I was with I was with people who obviously looked very American, so, but I still felt safe even though in some ways we did stand out. I still felt safe walking around the city in and out of Ubers. You know, yes, there were homeless people and yes, there were vendors that tried to go up to you and tried to sell to you. But you just you know even then like no it, gracias. no no gracias <laughs> continue on with your day as long as you're on the move. There's no problem. Um, and then at 2 a.m., 3, 4 a.m., still had no problems. Like, you know, if you're out if you're out on the town and you're out really late and you're walking back, like, no problem. I really, truly did feel safe there. You Obviously, you need to keep your eyes open. You need to be aware of your surroundings and not, like, to flash your $100 bills or, like, you know, you're – I mean, I had a bunch of pesos all the time. So, like, you know, I'm not going to flash my pesos, yeah. you know, everywhere. Um so as long as you're like aware and you just have common sense, you're going to be safe and you're going to be fine. Um, but, uh, and obviously there's certain parts like, that. okay, don't go here mm -hmm. because there's more chance that you'll be robbed. But otherwise you're fine. And so that was, that was basically it. And, and it was nice to be in a place where I didn't have to be scared or worry about that. Um, and it was even better in Uruguay. Uruguay was way more tranquil mm. than – than uh, Buenos Aires. And as a matter of fact, I had multiple people tell me that Punto del Este, which is the beach tourist town in Uruguay, supposedly the safest place in Latin America, Punto del Este. They say nothing happens there. Um, so it, it was nice to be on vacation and to not have to worry about any form of safety. And... As we wrap up here, I have two questions for you so we can answer do, do them one at a time. I wanted to ask you, one, what is like one key takeaway? And if you have more than one, it's okay. You can share more than one. What is a key takeaway that you had from traveling on your trip if you, that you came back with that will stick with you forever? And it can be anything. I'm glad you asked this because I kind of forgot and I wanted to touch on it. Um before I started because the, the, for me, I grew up in Boston and I moved to, I lived in Georgia for a year and I've lived in North Carolina, pretty much isolated to the East coast. I've been on one cruise and I like put my feet in the soil of a different, uh, country, but 
it, it, I don't even remember. It was like the Bahamas. It didn't even feel, you know, I was young and I didn't really click because you didn't really spend time in the actual culture and, you know, go to sleep in a bed and wake up in the morning and go like walk around this awesome town. So I didn't have that when I went on the cruise. So before we got into the conversation, I was like, isn't it awesome that we can talk about our adventures in a different land and and talk about how the food was different and the people were different and the the way of life was different. And I just think my biggest takeaway was if you are like I think as a young person, it's a great opportunity to travel because you have less responsibility. But I would highly recommend to anyone to travel to be able to even just have sort of this new perspective of like what life is. And I, I actually went there hoping to to end with that sort of conclusion. I was like, I want this new perspective of life. I I don't know what to expect in a different country. And I really did leave with that. And it wasn't like my head exploded with like all this amazing new enlightenment, but it's to be able to look back on the trip and reflect on it and, and actually like think about it and that's when it really kicks in is like, wow, that that is a different way of life. And conversations like this remind you of that. And you don't really get that unless you've truly been there. So biggest takeaway was just seriously, I highly recommend traveling. I don't it doesn't have to be Peru, but it, it can really give you a new perspective on life. Yep. <clears throat> I think I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think one thing for Americans is like our country's so big and so vast and diverse in terms of landscape that you don't have to leave the country to see something completely different. So a lot of us don't think about leaving before we travel and see other places like, okay, we're in, on the East Coast. Let's go to the West Coast, right? Um, so people think about that first. But, yeah, I'm totally going to piggyback off that and just say, like, get out of your comfort zone and go see a new cult, like a new culture and experience new things and, and engulf yourself in a way of living that's different than your own. And the personal growth that comes with that is just completely different and I think better than what you'd have in coming out of your comfort zone while still in your comfort zone because you're living in the same in the same place like something that hit me when i got back here was oh my god i have to speak english now like i don't have to speak spanish anymore and i flew into miami so obviously there's people speaking spanish so it was like a nice ease back into like english but it was still like you know i go everywhere in buenos aires and spanish 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 and then you come back like i don't spanish i don't need to use it anymore it was just so like like, you know, I was so used to Spanish and then all of a sudden it was just back to English. So just if you get out of your comfort zone, the growth that comes with it is just incredible. And so one last question that I have for you, and this is how I finish all the podcast episodes. I ask the people, if you had one message, it doesn't have to relate to traveling. If you had one message for the whole world, the whole world's listening to you right now. What are you going to say to everybody? Find... You know, don't ever give up on your purpose in life. Like, if you don't really feel like you found your purpose, I would not stop looking. Until you can safely conclude with, man, you know, I did everything in my power to to figure out why I was here and, and what that really meant to me. And, and it means something different to everyone. So that's something you should you should resonate with. If you're like, oh, I don't, you know, have the same views as the next guy, like, that's perfect. That's exactly what how it should be. 
I would just suggest to the listener to don't stop like pursuing your, your purpose um, for the sake of, you know, whatever it is, money or comfort or whatever, you know, still pursue the things that fire you up, even if you have to, you know, sacrifice one thing to, to gain another. What I've just concluded and learned so far, and I'm only 22, is every decision you make is going to open a new door and it may have to close another one behind you. But when you open up that new door, you could have now like now five new doors just appeared and you can choose to open up, you know, those those doors. So I, I hope that, you know, I can wrap. Let me see if I can uh, put this all into like one second, one sentence. But I, I would just suggest pursue your your passions and dreams and like the things that really fire you up and they may have fired you up when you were a little kid. Those are usually the things that are going to bring you the most fulfillment and you can you know, you can do a lot with them. So I would just say, keep on pursuing things you're passionate about uh, in life. Boom. Great message, Carson. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on. I love sharing the experiences that we had out of the country and I hope that uh, you can come on to another episode soon. But uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Peace. Peace.